Welcome to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. My name is Susan Sellers, and I'll be your host for today. Today's podcast has been made possible thanks to the generous support from the Scott Spouses Club. I'm very excited about our guest today. I have Dr. Pauline Boss, who's an educator and researcher, widely recognized for her research on the theory of ambiguous loss, and she's going to chat with us today. Dr. Boss, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Well, I had a chance to listen to your presentation at the MSEX Global Summit on this particular topic, and I just thought you'd be such a great fit for our listeners that I wanted to have you on the show. For those that are maybe not as familiar with the concept of ambiguous loss, would you explain what exactly it means? Well, it has a simple definition. It's simply an unclear loss. That is, it's not a death, it doesn't have a death certificate, it's not something that can be quantified like an amount of money that is lost. It's a very vague, ambiguous, unclear loss, Uh, and therefore it has gone unacknowledged um, until I started writing about it um, and seeing it in the families I was doing therapy with. I was a family therapist for 40 years, and so Ambiguous loss is a most difficult kind of loss because it's not recognized and it's difficult to find resolution in it. Interesting. So what I hear you saying is that ambiguous loss can't be quantified. Uh, The examples that you showed, very specific, but the fact that it is unclear and difficult to maybe even recognize at times could probably make it very challenging. Are there different types of ambiguous loss? Yes, uh, there are two types. Uh, The first type I studied was with the families of soldiers missing in action in Southeast Asia during the Vietnam War. And that was where uh, the wives would say, he's gone, but not for sure. And of course, uh, as we know, sometimes missing soldiers are found, sometimes their remains are found, and then the family has a clear-cut loss. They have uh, evidence that they so sorely need, but many times they live forever without knowing. That's physical ambiguous loss. And I would put other things in that category that are more common, divorce and adoption and deployment, by the way. And the second kind of ambiguous loss is psychological. And that's where the person is there living with you, but their uh, memory is gone, such as with uh, dementia, Uh, There are over 80 kinds of dementia, though Alzheimer's disease is the most common, or addiction, or a serious um, mental illness, so that the person is there, but not the way they used to be. Interesting. Would you say that some of our families that are caregivers who are wounded, ill, or injured soldiers, would they fall under that second category? Yes, I actually wrote a book about caregiving, and I now... I regret the title because I had dementia in the title. And the book is really meant, uh, it's loving someone who has dementia. It should have been loving someone for whom I'm giving care because it fits anybody who's taking care of a loved one who is no longer the way they used to be physically or psychologically. They may have lost a leg and that would be physical ambiguous loss for them. That life is not the same as it might've been otherwise. Or, 
or they may have lost their memory due to brain injury. So it could be physical or psychological caregiving. Caregiving is caregiving and it's difficult. It definitely can be very challenging at times. And currently we have 2.3 million children who are considered child caregivers in our military community. So I certainly can see that correlation with the uh, psychological ambiguous loss. For other members of our military community, what examples could you think of that would relate to our kids in terms of a physical ambiguous loss? Would this be perhaps um, moving, um, you know, from one location to another or leaving friends? Are those some examples of physical ambiguous loss? Absolutely. And they tend to go unacknowledged with children. It's, again, because we're not accustomed to looking for ambiguous losses. We're accustomed to looking for uh, clear-cut losses. So for the child, these are huge losses. Uh, when they lose friends by moving from another school or a favorite teacher or just uh, familiar surroundings, just add them up for a kid. And by the way, children catch on to the concept of ambiguous loss even quicker than adults do. They, they seem to relate to it, uh, at least um, in my experience, from seventh, eighth grade on up, they catch on to it very quickly. And yes, they will list their ambiguous losses. And that's what we want children to do. We don't want to tell them what they are. We want to say, hey, I heard about this concept called ambiguous loss, where something is lost in an unclear way. It can be physical or psychological. Here are a couple examples. If you ever have any, let me know, a parent could say. But of course, first of all, the parent has to recognize their own ambiguous losses, which in the military culture are there just because of the nature of the culture. Um, a co-parent, the mate, your partner, um, may be physically gone when they're deployed. It may be dangerous, it may not be dangerous, depending on where they're de deployed uh, or whether they're deployed in a battle zone. Uh, and so these are things to talk over with the child. Say that you have this ambiguous loss and ask the child if they have any. That would be the open conversation to have. So why do you think it is so important for us then as parents to understand this concept of ambiguous loss when it comes to supporting our kids? Well, it's because if the parent doesn't understand it, the child won't understand it. And frequently the children look to the parents uh, to know whether or not uh, the family's in trouble or not, or whether or not there's high stress, whether or not there's something to be afraid of, or whether or not things are nicely under control. So the parents must, in fact, take care of themselves in order to take care of the children. That's just a family systems um, uh, dictum that made sense across the generations. We look to our parents to see if they're all right. And if they're not all right, it's okay to share with the child and say, I'm nervous, I'm sad, I'm whatever, because of this, this thing that's happening. Daddy or mommy is deployed, I miss him or her. Or you could say daddy or mommy is in a dangerous place right now and think about some ways to support him or her. It might be prayer, it might be some kind of meditation, it might be some kind of recognition of them. 
as doing a job for their country for a bigger purpose. So I'm talking about sharing information across the generations so that parent can recognize the child's stress from the ambiguous losses and the child can recognize that the parent may have some too so they don't feel like they have a mental illness or that they are uh, somehow failing the family. Well, I think you bring up a really good point about sharing information because we do know that age-appropriate information when shared can really help a child with their stress levels, with them coping with the particular situation that they're experiencing because if they don't have that information, oftentimes they may create something that's even worse than the reality. Almost always. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate the point that you brought up that if the child sees that the parent also has those moments of struggle with ambiguous loss, then it sort of validates their experiencing as well and then perpetuates hopefully that conversation, which in turn, then as parents, you know, if we're taking care of ourselves and making sure that we identify the things that are stressing us and find positive coping skills, then our children are going to learn from us as well. Exactly, exactly. And it's a very, very helpful thing to remember. It's kind of a paradox, isn't it? It is. If I, as a parent, take care of myself, my kids will be better off. Uh, It's sort of a paradoxical way. Take care of self in order to take care of others. Which is easier said than done, because so often as parents, we're so, yes. fo- we're so focused on the child that we forget that we do need to focus on ourselves at times. And the comment that you made that I, I wanted to ask you about, you made the comment that it's difficult to recognize ambiguous loss. So how can we it recognize uh-huh. it in our kids or in ourselves so that then we can start to develop some healthy coping skills? Well, I think you should make a list, first of all, of all the losses you have had in your lifetime from death that were particularly traumatic to you. And then you should make this second list, this one that's more unclear, of the losses you've had that were not a death, of the loss of a pet, for example, who ran away. Maybe a divorced parent and the um, non-custodial parent didn't show up very much. Or maybe you were adopted and you don't know your birth mother. Or maybe you were just in a regular, uh, normal American family, but one of the parents was working so hard they were gone most of the time and you didn't get to see them or talk with them very much. Um, There are many different kinds of ambiguous loss, and I think it's very easy to sit down and reflect, first of all, about the clear-cut losses and then about the ones that weren't clear but made you feel sad and angry and grieving even though there was no death. It's possible to be very sad about a custodial parent and grieve them, but of course society doesn't know that that's an ambiguous loss and so they don't understand why the child would be grieving or why the partner would be grieving, the partner left behind. It just takes us to know there is such a thing as ambiguous loss. Once you know that there is such a thing, then you sit down and reflect what might mine be and then share that with your kids and see if they have any. 
interesting. I, one that immediately came to mind when you were talking was the frequency of separation from our service members. You know, my husband has served for 27 years and we're very proud of his service, but his deployments and separations from us are um, in the double digits in terms of months. So, yeah. you know, I certainly can remember feeling that sense of grief and that sense of frustration and sadness, even though he was physically still here, the lack of accessibility, you know, my kids would use the phrase gone is gone. And so not having, uh -huh. having him physically uh -huh. present definitely would have an impact on us from time to time. Once a family can recognize some of the ambiguous losses that they've experienced, what's the next step? What recommendations would you have for coping? Well, in the book, uh, I've written eight books, but um, the one, probably the last one would be the most relevant for the military, and that would be um, the 2022 book called The Myth of Closure. And also there's a book called Family Stress Management, which the military has used in the past. So to answer your question, the, the ways to cope with ambiguous loss, and you're absolutely right, the deployment causes an ambiguous loss for the family left behind. I would also say for the military personnel who are deployed also, they have a family, but they can't be with the family. Uh, and then the people left behind have, have a father or have a mother or have a, a spouse um, but they can't be physically with them. So how to cope? Uh, first of all, use both and thinking. That is, my loved one is gone and also can be here through, what would I say, technical connections, like um, not just email anymore, but FaceTime and so on. So that would be good to make up for the absence. And the second thing is there are just different kinds of ways to be resilient besides doing both and thinking. The reason both and thinking is helpful is that it doesn't give you just the negative. So you want to balance that sentence with a negative and a positive. My mother is gone and I can learn how to do things for myself more than my other friends do. In other words, have a positive and a negative in the same sentence, which lowers the stress for the person who's experiencing that ambiguous loss. There are other ways that I've written about coping with um, ambiguous loss. They're not in any order, by the way. They have to do with finding meaning, tempering your need to be in control, because in fact, uh, the military's in control as to how your family will be moved about or if someone is deployed reconstructing your identity. So a lot of children say, well, we're military kids. It's a good identity because they know that they have to cope more than their other kids in school. So they may in fact be stronger stress managers over the, over the long term than, than civilian kids. And then revising attachments. You have to revise your attachment. You know, the person you love is gone, but you can still keep them in your heart and mind and um, do things now with technology to stay attached. It's much better than it was in World War II and even the Vietnam War regarding ways to stay connected technology-wise. 
And then, of course, uh, discovering new hope, uh, new hope for something that will happen uh, when the person returns. And, and sadly, if the person doesn't return, some new hope for a life that would honor them, for a life that would keep them in your mind. By the way, when deployed people return, there's also stress in the family because the family has been operating without them for so long. So don't be surprised by that. Other family researchers have, uh, since World War II, done studies on the uh, reintegration of the soldier into the family. is also as stressful almost as when they left. It's just a stress management period of reorganization, so don't be afraid of it. Just expect it and know that it can be managed. But change is stressful, whether somebody is leaving or somebody is coming back. I agree. We uh, actually call it that time of reset when my husband was returning from a deployment because, um, as you said, you know, the kids and I operated as one entity and we had to happily, but we had to figure out a way to incorporate him back into the family process. So we'd always yep, call exactly. that a, a, a reset time. I like that. Which always had its highs and sometimes had its lows as well. And, and uh -huh. understanding that it's more than the, the Instagram picture of reunion that you often see. So thank you for that example. I really appreciate it. For a lot of military kids, particularly high school military kids, they're on their second or third move. And that level of change for a student, you know, oftentimes they're, for example, uh, my son moved three different states during his high school career, each very different, each with their own positive and negatives, but how can we incorporate some of these strategies that you mentioned for children that are struggling with this transition? I think you have to admit that it's really tough. So I would start that both end idea this way. This is really tough. Uh, this is both really, really tough, you know, going to high school and being moved around so much. And I feel I'm getting better at stress management than the other kids in the high school, which, by the way, I think is probably really true for military kids. Um, so you'd say this is both really tough and I am getting stronger in managing stress because of it, something like that. And my bet is that most military kids have a broader experience of life moving around and learning new cultures and so on, and also are being asked to cope with stress more than ordinary kids are today, which let me explain why I say that as an advantage. The more recent view of parenting is to protect the children. And what has happened is children have been overprotected, and therefore uh, some generations are not very good at coping with stress. They just throw their hands up each time they feel a little bit of stress and say they need protection. That wasn't true of the greatest generation that grew up in the Depression, by the way. Those kids um, they were not protected. By the way, I'm of that generation. I'm 88 years old. And uh, we didn't have luxuries. We had a good time. We had uh, fun playing ball in the yard with the neighbors or whatever simple pleasures we had. Um, but we were... Um, what you would call free-range kids, which might have been the other extreme, where the parents were busy just working to put food on the table, 
and the kids were just playing outside until it was supper time and the street lights came on. That's probably the other extreme, but the, not enough supervision. Today, I think we have too much interference of parents trying to control the stress that their children are facing. So be aware that there can be a good side and a bad side to the high stress that military kids experience. It might be too much uh, at times, but having some stress management skills is a skill for lifetime and a skill that many children today do not have. I'm sure that military kids have it. Well, I agree with you. I think it's a lifetime skill, and I think it's important to note that it's a skill. It's something that can be learned. Um, it's not necessarily a trait that you're born with, but over time and uh, development of coping skills, then that will in turn will help to develop that resiliency. That first one was about, um, or the second one was about mastery, which is really about control. And a child needs to know, as adults need to know, that things won't always go our way. And that it's okay that we can adapt and bend bend like a tree in a storm and maybe learn from it and then stand up straight again. And if we learn coping skills, it's true that things don't always go our way. And too many people now have the idea that things should go their way all the time. Well, I hope it does go your way most of the time, but there are times when it won't. And that's the time when stress management skills are very, very important for children and for the parents. And perhaps you can compare notes on that. You know, here's the storm, the tree is bending in the storm, we have to bend here, and then we can stand up straight again and have things go smoothly for a while. Well, I think that's really profound advice, and I like the analogy of, of the tree because certainly military life, uh, sometimes we don't know which direction we're gonna be blown in, but if we together and- I so admire you. I so admire military wives, military husbands, military children. I so admire you. And I, um, I used to teach at the um, War College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, family stress management, and grew to be appreciative of the military family. We appreciate the support. We uh, certainly embrace uh, all those that want to support and lift up our military kids because that's ultimately what it's all about is finding a way to move forward. So Dr. Boss, I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk to me today. As always, it has been very enlightening and I love, I just love talking to you. I always learn something new. Thank you. And there's a website, uh, www.ambiguousloss.com. If your listeners want to uh, know more about uh, the writings and what's available. That's great. And in fact, with our listeners, we have show notes. I'll include also the two books that you mentioned, along with the website that Dr. Boss just listed in our show notes today so that you guys can check that out a little bit more. You've been listening to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. We'd like to thank again the Scott Spouses Club for their generous support for today's episode. Until next time, live a great story.